Welcome to the Creative Agency Account Manager podcast with me, Jenny Plant from Account Management Skills Training. I'm on a mission to help those in agency client service keep and grow those existing client relationships so your agency business can thrive. Welcome to episode 30. This episode's for you if you're interested in the finance and operations side of the agency business. Mark Prober is an expert in helping agencies scale fast. And in this episode, he shares with me some of the most useful financial benchmarks that high growth agencies use, such as what a healthy financial position looks like in terms of liquidity, typical revenue target per staff member, average billable rates, and lots more. He also shares why agencies are hiring ahead of the business need currently and also shares his thoughts on the most conducive agency business model for growth. I learned loads in this episode and I really hope you do too. Let's go over to Mark now. So I'm delighted today that I've managed to get some time in the diary with Mark Prober. Mark is managing partner of Cactus the leading UK agency growth consultancy, and also managing partner of Agency Nomics, a social enterprise and the largest free of charge community in the UK for agency founders. Welcome, Mark. Hi, Jenny. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. I feel honoured to be a guest you've had on this. <laughs> no, I'm honestly, I've wanted to have you on for ages. So I'm really excited about diving into this topic. Would you mind spending a couple of minutes, first of all, Mark, just talking about you, your background? A bit of your experience and how you help agencies. Okay, are you on the short story or the long story? <laughs> However it comes. <laughs> okay, well maybe it's helpful to go back a few years. So whilst I was at school in Hampshire, I had a variety of different jobs and I was somebody that never really wanted to go to university. I had this thing in me where I wanted to go and work and I had various things going on, a car wash business, run a cigarette kiosk of all things, what? stuff like that. And went into college kind of enjoyed my business studies, thought, well, actually, maths might be the thing for me. I was quite good with numbers at the time. Maybe not so much now that there's technology to do these things for you. But so I went into accountancy practice and I went in at the age of 18, had a couple of other jobs on the side at the weekends and so on. Um, And I probably then spent about the next 18 years trying to get out of accountancy practice. So (laughs) 18 and 18, even I can have that, 36. So uh, Basically went into different accountancy, doing audits, tax, a bit of M&A work, business advisory. And what I always loved doing was working with SMEs. Absolutely loved it. I loved seeing somebody come up with an idea, run with that idea and either make it or not make it. You know, try and help them a little bit along the way with what we, we could advise on. But when I said about trying to escape, I got to the point where I moved up to Scotland probably 19, 20 years ago um, with my wife, now wife, Kirsty. And joined a variety of firms up here, tried a couple of different ones, went to Grant Thornton, which was my last one, uh, obviously big, big multinational. And I got to the point then really where I was trying to get out of doing accounts and audit and tax. And so I wanted to do something a bit different, but perhaps naively what I ended up doing there was working on some big global brand, you know, audits, accounts and so on. But I also learned quite a lot at that time in that environment in Scotland in Grant Thornton about marketing and and the value of marketing. So for once, first time ever in my life, I kind of took a step back and thought, hang on a minute. I dabbled into industry once upon a time before, didn't like it, went into a company that was too big, came back out into practice. I thought it's probably time to be a bit selfish and go, well, forget this party route that everybody kind of steps into an accountancy where you're a trainee and you progress up the rungs and so on. And I thought it's probably time to try, try something a bit different. I took time to think about what that was. And that ended up being Cactus. 
so I knew Pete it's a really good friend of mine that I've known since I was four or five so um whole backstory there which is a different podcast didn't know you've known each other for so long <laughs> different podcast that one <laughs> there's a few stories in there and he was up in Edinburgh one weekend we were sat up sat in my living room for a glass of wine catching up and he's like are you okay and I was you know what I just need to do something different I'm fed up doing what I'm doing it doesn't mean anything I don't feel like I'm helping anybody kind of lost the sort of buzz so anyway he went away gave me a call the next night when he got home and said oh you should come and join us totally out of the blue you know what does that mean and and what cactus was at that time and that was probably seven years ago nearly now cactus was pete pete hall spencer gallagher my colleagues ex-agency owners grown and sold their agency their design and build agency and they'd set up cactus so cactus was consulting to independent agencies in the kind of six, 700,000 turnover up to about four, 5 million space. And they were helping them holistically around, you know, all the areas of the business, finance, ops, marketing, sales, culture, and, and trying to help people get to what their vision, you know, whatever their vision was, they're trying to help them on that journey. Pete very much helping on the finance and ops, Spencer very much the tech sales marketing. So again, long story short, I joined six and a half years, sort of probably about that time now, ago and over the time I've partnered with other ex-agency owners I do very similar to what Pete does you know helping very much on the financial and operational side of businesses that can be getting my hands dirty on some of the stuff up to you know helping people hire in their finance teams or their operational teams up to M&A work which you know last year at Cactus I think we did 12 deals of different variety so that's what I now do and I don't ever call it a job now I think I ended up when I looked for that role seven years ago I was I had various other opportunities but this one sort of stood out because it was helping SME entrepreneurial people with an idea and and yeah I love what I do now it's not really a job it shows as <laughs> there's well. a long story there's a long story Jenny yeah, yeah. fantastic and I didn't really know half of that so this has right. been really valuable already for me so I know how many agencies you work with and it's very difficult to actually get a time with you to work with you but when an agency comes to you and says, right, an agency owner says, I want to grow, what are the very first things that you do with that business? What do you look at first? Well, the very first thing I do is spend some time getting to know them because everyone knows about, you know, four Fs as they call them, fun, fame, fortune, future kind of thing. And what I always want to do is feel like I get to know the person. For me, I, I did a poll out on LinkedIn a few weeks ago. I think I know which way you answered as well, actually similar to me, where it's is what is the one sort of area of the business you'd really want to, you know, you'd want to monitor a KPI on. And for me, people have thought I'd have said finance and I said clients. Clients are key to me, like absolutely fundamentally, it's about client care to me, always has been. And that for me is you've got to enjoy working with somebody. And, and my, I suppose my motto is it's, it's got to be bloody hard work for me, but it's got to be enjoyable. You know, and that for me is get to know the person first and foremost. And then there's all the usual stuff, isn't there? Funnels of how you get them to work with you and so on. And something we implemented a while ago was the we put in a health check for the business where what's really useful for that is I've, I have a lot of kind of new business, if you want to call them that, calls with people that have completed their health check on our website at Cactus. And it identifies area of the business where they don't see themselves scoring very highly. So it might be I don't know, they might not have a cash flow projection or it might be they have no marketing strategy, bizarrely, even though they're a marketing agency. And that these things often root out quite quickly for us what their problems are. And so for me, it's get to know the person first and foremost on 
at the moment, obviously, a lot of calls get to really feel like you know them and starting to you know get a bit friendlier with them. Over time, building up a friendship more than a working relationship, I think it's really important. And then there's the work side, identifying quickly what their problems are so that you can help them quickly. Because a lot of people want, you know, think they need help like yesterday, but it's, it's trying to identify what the real issues are because they might think it's one thing and it, and it might not be that thing. Okay, perfect. So I'll include a link to the health check on the Cactus website because it sounds really, really valuable. And absolutely, you would imagine that it would be some kind of audit. So that sounds like it's super valuable. So I know that your specialism is the financial and operation side. So can you talk us through some of the kind of standard financial benchmarks and parameters that you believe would help an agency grow? Okay. For me, there's there's a huge one is around staff costs, obviously at current time as well. That can be a bit bit difficult for some people to monitor because there's still all the furlough stuff and that going on. But for me, this is one of the, what's the word for this? This is a confusion in the market. There are other advisors that look at staff costs in a different way to how we do at Cactus. So the biggest thing for us really is staff costs, the gross profits. So that for me is the biggest metric to watch or one of the one of the big five as i call them i suppose so what i mean by us different to others is a lot of the big networks will treat their gross profit differently to how an independent would so they will do sales i've got lots of terminology now when people are calling different things jenny but sales less cost of sales equals gross profit a lot of people will put advisors will put staff costs into the cost of sale so if a web developer is working specifically on a on a web project for a client, they might attribute some of their time to cost of sale, to cost of making that sale. We wouldn't do that. So what we do is very much try and keep, a lot of what we do at Cactus, believe it or not, is try and keep it very simple. So we're quite aware that in the independent space, people don't often have resource and they, they don't want to buy in the non-fee owners, like the finance people, maybe the marketeers or whatever, project managers. You'll know this with what you do in your account management, project management stuff. So. For me, the staff cost to gross profit ratio is we keep sales as sales. We put pretty much nothing in cost of sales. So it might be a bit of a hosting of a website, might be a or a license, you know, if you're reselling it to a client. But all people costs are in overheads. So in our view, all people are overheads. As soon as you hire them, they're a fixed cost. But a lot of other people completely change that, do it differently, split the, the employee costs and so on. Some of the big networks do it that way. When I did a deal last year with an agency in Bristol, we sold them to McCann's. McCann's did it that way. But that's because they've got a whole team of finance people doing their numbers and analysis. You know, mm. so what we say is, you know, an agency of a million pounds might not even have a full-time finance person. You know, more often than not, they don't. So whether they should do is another question. But, you know, mm. why make it complicated? Okay. And, and yeah. it's, so it simplifies it. It just simply it from, from an it, accountancy yeah. perspective or more from... An understanding. I think it's more. There's no. There's no. By the way, there's no right or wrong way in accountancy. I mean, I can say that. I suppose with my accountancy degree hat on or whatever, that you can do it either way. It's up to you. But for us, it's about that day-to-day, month-to-month internal reporting. Why make it really complex and take my salary and put some up there, some down the bottom, and then go? Oh, well, hang on. What are my staff costs and my revenue? I've got to do this funny calculation to work it all out. Well, why waste all that time? Well, and, and, you know, what we would say is if you're operating between 55, it used to be 55 to 65% of your, let's say, gross profit figure, which is nearly your sales figure in the cactus world, yeah? 
yeah. then you're about right. You're running an agency that's about the right kind of staffing level. Although I would say at the moment, a lot of people are edging towards, say, 70% regularly because they're investing a little bit ahead of sales a little bit. Mm. Number of agencies, probably the ones that are faster growing. Right. Why are they doing that? Just so that they've got people ready to kind of hit the ground? and People ready to hit the ground. They've got the buffer of the government money. So a lot of agencies, believe it or not, are quite buoyant in terms of cash reserves at the moment. Still are, even though it's, what is it, 5th of May May sort of time. They've still got a buffer of reserves. So they're thinking, well, actually, we're quite confident at the moment. It's hard to get people. So let's try and hire some people in. It's hard to get them. There's still a lot of people. Some people are moving, some aren't, and so on. Why not invest some of that money in people? Because that's ultimately what we're going to be trying to to get our valuing going forward. That makes total sense. Have you got any other benchmarks that you can share with us? Yeah, yeah. So we tend to say, or I tend to say, well, that three times somebody's salary is what they should be earning in agency. You might have heard that before. Um, so if somebody's on 40 grand, they should be doing 120 grand billable work. Lots of the bigger agencies have that number down to a fine, you know, 3.2 or whatever. But <laughs> we would say, look, it's cactus fag packet here is three. Times three is the revenue kind of target for everybody. Liquidity is always one. Some people ask me often, how much money should we have in the bank? And then they can pull out their mobile phone and then it all goes wrong. You know, <laughs> and you go, it's not about what you've got today. It's about what you've got covering your costs. And so, and so mm. some people work to six times their their overheads so if their overheads are 100 grand a month they think they should have 600 grand in the bank you know i think and i'm quite a cautious finance person in some respects i think that's that's an awful lot of headroom to give yourself if you're trying to scale something quite quickly and all this i suppose depends on vision and so on as, as mm-hmm. to what you're doing but you know a couple of months in the bank is enough so there's a ratio I do. Pete hates this one. I call it the current. He always calls me Horatio Probert as in Horatio <laughs> Nelson. There's a current ratio where you do your, your assets on your balance sheet, bank and cash and your debtors who owes you money, divided by your liabilities. You know, you owe the VAT man, you owe HMRC, your payroll, you owe your suppliers if you've got any. That, if that's more than three to one, so three pounds to one pound, you're in quite a healthy position for a lot of even project-based agencies. You know, if it's if it's two to one, you're fine. If it's less than one, you've got problems. You know, There's some so. poor agency leader listening to this somewhere thinking, oh, no. I don't, well, yeah, <laughs> maybe, maybe. Yeah. This is fascinating. And what about billable percentages? Do you have any benchmarks around that or does it totally yeah, depend yeah, on? Do, yeah, I suppose the minimum for us is 64%. So what I mean by that is, so if somebody's capacity, if they're 80% available to work because they've got holidays and, and so on, and then nobody is super efficient. Nobody's a machine, although sometimes I think you might be with all these podcasts, Jenny, they're amazing. Um, nobody's a machine. So that's 80% again. So 80% of 80% is 64. So, so what I mean by that is the minimum number somebody should be able to do that's a billable resource is 64% of their time. And you'll find that, you know, in a dev agency, maybe a web developer's 80 or 90% kind of thing in creative, maybe not as high. And then different job roles, you know, not as much, obviously, account management, very different and so on. So, but we would, we would tend to work on somebody should be doing about 64% if they're a mostly billable resource. Mm-hmm. And you, you tend to find, I think in some of the industry reports that have been done in the last couple of years that, you know, that some people you'll know as well, it works out. I think the average is about 63, 65, something like that. Mm. So our, our starting figure is, is about right usually. 
Perfect. Yeah, yeah. And what about your views on account management? Should account management be billable or non-billable? <laughs> this you one knew for I was me. going to ask you that. I did, uh, well, I didn't, but I did sort of thing. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> should it be, sorry, billable or non-billable, did you say? And should it be split up in terms of job roles? Well, just in terms of the account management role, should it be billable or not? What's your view? Or does it vary or... Is there just a, from your perspective, I think, I think, it, I think most people tend to say it's not billable, but I still think there is elements of it that could be billable and it just depends how you're packaging up your offering to your client, doesn't it, really, right. at the end of the day? You know, if, you, if you're value-based pricing, then you can wrap all that up and there's no issue, is there? Mm. This is your price and that's what we can, you know, there's somebody you and I work with that does that kind of thing and, and so on. So maybe it is chargeable, maybe it is, has been billed, but mm. it's just not been identified to the client as such. Just, I have to ask you, because you've mentioned it, how many agencies do you come across that do actually manage to do value-based pricing? Oh, limited. I know it's the utopia, isn't it? People want to try it and, and so on. One that you and I work with, another one that I work with, on my, you know, sometimes I work in a pair, I probably should have said this earlier on, actually, I work in, in a partnership with a guy called Danny Turnbull, who you'll know most of the time now, but I also have a number of clients of my own that I've always had for, for years in different guises of support to them. And I would say there's probably two of those that do it. One very, very well, but that's mainly because they've got a couple of big clients and they've had them for quite a few years. And I think they've always sold on that basis. And, and one that's been trying it recently and it has been working. So amazing. Yeah. I, th- I think the other thing is people worry too much, don't they, about pricing, about changing their prices. How do they find out what the competition is doing? And I know that's another hot topic for you and other people but why don't you just try things I mean it's I just don't get it sometimes I think people overanalyze it or when they overanalyze finance too much and numbers and it's just like just try it what have you got to lose kind of thing really Um, good advice actually well this has been so valuable already Mark thank you for sharing so many benchmarks I'm sure that's been a few light bulb moments going off I'm interested to know about your thoughts on the most conducive agency business model that you've found has worked the best if someone wants fast growth Interesting. Uh, you probably imagine I say pods here, and I will say pod. I will say pods. But what's I won't say who. But I helped somebody last. Year, well, I've worked with them for quite a few years, and I helped to help them sell their agency. And they've gone into a much bigger thing now. That's I think it's 160 people. Company have bought agency have bought them from overseas, and I asked the owner of that. Well, I'm still working with them. I'm still supporting them and so on. So I asked the owner, I think it was a couple of weeks ago on the on the board call, how did you scale your, I'm fascinated, how did you scale your agency? You know, and I'm thinking, well, he's got to have done this via the pod star. I'll come on to the pods in a minute, but got to have done this via some kind of pod. And he, he just basically, and he's a development agency in the main. And he was just like, we just made sure we got the best people we could get. And I said, yeah, but you must have had a structure. And he said, not really. People that are doing the development also sell to the client. And I'm going, how does this happen that you know I was struggling with this concept like quite a bit and he just said it's just all about getting the best people and training them and eventually if they go off to say I want to just be a developer and I don't want to do any kind of account management or sales whatever it is then that's fine we're fine with that but we give them a lot of training around different areas and I know you said to me before you had sales training many years ago and Mm. you found that like game changing Mm, almost And, and, and this guy done that with people that you wouldn't have anticipated would have had sales training you know you wouldn't necessarily be giving sales training to the development team and so on. But he said, let them try it, let them see how they get on. And they might not be able to do it, and they probably can't do it all. But let's just see. They see this. And his point was very, very much about 
getting the superstar people in the first place, spending a lot of time on the recruitment side of things. Mm. So that's the one I've heard that's a bit different. The, the pod stuff, I mean, that for me usually works if you do it right. Just to explain for, <laughs> yeah. for those listening who perhaps haven't come across the concept of a pod structure, what actually is a pod structure? Okay, so you've kind of got three bits to the agency. I did it the other way around. You've got the kind of management almost. And I mean that as the this maybe the CEO or maybe the finance director or whatever as you scale up. Something obviously a million pounds, you're probably the, the owners kind of over here. In the middle, you've got the core team servicing the client. And what I mean by that is it can be all different terminology, obviously, but a project, different different types of agency, a project manager, an account manager, and then a specialist. So it might be it might be a real data specialist or um, a, strateg- a strategist maybe in that role. And then it might be a mobile and web agency I work with. They've just hired a scrum master to go into that sort of PM role so that they can do the, all the efficiency and operational stuff and the management of the work scheduling and so on. The account manager hopefully then is more freed up to service the client properly, the stuff you advise on, obviously expertly, and, and sell a little bit in the right way to the client have the right meetings, the quarterly meetings or whatever, talk about the strategy with the client, not be worried about bogged down with how are the team going to service it all. It's the PM's role. And then you've got the specialist to come into the meetings, obviously, with the accounts person and, and hopefully get better ideas out of the client, which the agency can then deliver on. So that's the kind of the core bit. And that pod, I mean, there's so many variables to that. That pod, we tend to say, might do 650 revenue up to about a million. But that could be a couple of big clients, that could be multiple, multiple small ones or a mixture of both. Obviously, there is no definitive numbers on these because, as you know, you could have yeah. you had one client that had to pods that had 1.8 million going through it, only had two clients, you know, yeah. because that one of them was, you know, a huge client for the agency. Yeah. The, the account management team couldn't have coped with, you know, five or six other clients. It just wouldn't have been feasible. So that, that's that. And then you've almost got, and this is no derogatory term, the bench. The bench is the people doing the work. So it might be the development team, it might be, you know, sometimes search agencies, I think, don't maybe adopt this model and, and they don't see how it works for them when they might have, a, you know, SEO head, PPC head, whatever, you know, social media head, and they think, oh, how can this work? But actually it can work, you know, we've put it into some search agencies before and it does work, but it takes time. I mean, a pod thing probably takes six to eight months to properly put in because mm-hmm. you're trying to map out what you are now, where you want to go, and show people their career opportunities. So you've got to get all that out clear first and understand it before you can go anywhere near doing it. And if you get above a million pound revenue per pod, how does that pod grow or doesn't it? Do you just set up another pod? That's a good question. So I suppose in reality, what happens is people bring on a lot of account people, don't they? They always want to be hiring an account manager or an account exec or whatever, and they're not really thinking about the role. <laughs> so if you've got it clarified, you go, well, okay, I've got one pod. I might start another one and start putting some clients into there. I might have this PM role kind of floating between the two. And then as it gets bigger, you hire in another or you bring on, you know, another account exec into AM or CSD or however big mm-hmm. the agency is. They then manage the other pod. And eventually I say CSD, they're probably the person overseeing. You know, it's a little bit like our, our friends that we work with that where they've got a CSD character, haven't they, overseeing various pods, pod leads. Gotcha. That makes sense. And you found that actually that's the most conducive because obviously different agencies that you start working with have probably got all different structures. But do you tend to kind of try to formulate that structure or give them the benefits of doing that? And do you find that they say, oh, yes, that's fine? Or do you get any resistance? There's always, there is a lot. Obviously, I mean, the 
this is the people's company you're sort of messing and you, you know they've got a history of trying to grow a company to a certain stage and then they're looking for somebody to help and we have no magic wands we just have I suppose between us a lot of experience yeah, yeah and people do resist it absolutely they do and sometimes it doesn't work you know I've worked with somebody before where they almost took it by the, the words of the book and tried to implement it really quickly and they didn't really I think stepping back and looking for third party sort of in they didn't really do what we just said you know say what are we now what do we want to be and it might be this pod and how are we going to evolve to that I can't just change overnight mm. this is people's lives careers and so on you're, you're sort of messing with yeah. so they didn't, they didn't take the time so you do get a lot of resistance but actually I'll go back to the health check question I think most agencies we end up working with the biggest issue is the structure isn't right so they think it's lots of other things but actually, when you sit back and go through it all and think of, right, if I got, it's often the structure's not right. And I don't think there is another model we've put in somewhere that's really worked better than this pod system. When it's worked well, it's worked really well. That's really fascinating, Mark. So what's a symptom that they come with? And then you unpick it and realise it's a structure. Uh, sometimes it's a debate we've had once upon a time, actually, often it's that AMPM sort of split. And I, know that, I know that's obvious to say, but they often, that, you know, one of the exercises we off, will often do is say, let's say financial budgeting yeah so we're doing i don't know let's just say we're doing 100 grand a month revenue this year at the moment we say okay well let's have a high level stab at next year's budget okay where are we going to start and some people go well the sales going to go up in line like this or the cost of this we need to make this much at the top and then you go okay well let's take it another way what clients have you got what are you going to get from those clients you know it's just it sounds obvious to some but it's not obvious i know to lots of people what are you going to get from those clients? What do you think you could get? All the usual stuff. And then you go, okay. And then they go, but we can't get that. And you go, why can't you get it? And they go, so our account management team aren't good enough. And you go, okay, well, what do the account managers do then? And you start to, all right, so that person's a project manager then. No, they're an account, you know, and then you start getting into that debate. And that's why I say often it is the structure. It really is. And, and always, I think most of the time you find agencies have too many people for the revenue they're doing because the structure isn't right so they're throwing people at it not fixing processes and systems and, and so wow. I could go on about this all day and I probably am actually I no please like you know that you've triggered yeah. me with this discussion because yeah. you know being an account manager myself most of my life I was a, a marketing manager for a few years but most of my life I've been in account management and most of that tenure has been in hybrid roles so I am the project manager and it's one of those things that I've realised later in my career, now I'm consulting with agencies, how nuts that really is. It's interesting. Because yeah. it just really fights. I mean, I'm sure there are people out there that just, con- you know, convinced that it works and it has worked. But I just see really, really talented, commercially minded account managers coming on my course. This is, I suppose this is my day-to-day experience. And yet they're kind of really bogged down by admin resourcing scopes of work uh, financial reconciliations and you think my god they should be out there selling growing adding value to the business you know talking to clients and helping so you've triggered me and just carry on really i'm just going to say that some people who won't be, be people listen to this eventually and some people won't know me or whatever and they'll think how does this guy profess to know about this stuff when he's never worked in an agency he's only been in it six years and actually what I think, you know, if somebody, people don't often, but if they ask me what my previous experiences were, then 
accountancy practices bizarrely are not that different to an agency mm. they're not as creative I'll give I'll give you that I'll give you that but they have account management roles they have project management roles they have delivery roles they have graduate trainees that take up a lot of time for the senior people you know all these things very similar and often and I think what did I have in many roles I had far too many things going on I was trying to manage 35 clients a team of 40 people win new business upsell to a client and work with the marketing team and be head of client satisfaction so you're like well how can you do all those things and you know many years ago I saw somebody I know actually up here in Scotland went into a role as a new business director in an accountancy everyone was like my goodness how can you have that not completely non-fee earning just just like going out like schmoozing all the time Absolutely, you could because they got their structure right. You know, they had the right people doing the jobs, the work, doing the technical bits, project managing it for want of a better word. So, you know, it's a very similar industry in, in a lot of ways that people often overlook. And if someone's listening to this and it's really resonating with them and thinking, actually, we could look at separating these two roles, where would you advise an agency owner start with that process? Okay. I think the thing for me would be to not necessarily write down what that person's doing, although sometimes that's a good place to start because then you might identify, is to write down what you think a account manager should be doing <laughs> and what you think a project manager should be doing and then sitting and looking at the team you've got and going, well, okay, well, if these are the right people, then do they fit into to these roles? If, if they don't fit into these roles, <laughs> you've got a slight issue, obviously, that you need to deal with over time. But... You know, there might be other roles that they go into. I think you've got to you've got to clearly identify what you think the roles are. And then if it's not quite right, you've got to be honest and transparent with your team about that. And so I've got one client at the moment where one of the team doesn't really know what they want to do in their career, but it's pivotal at the moment to the agency, given the size of it. And really, the agency needs both. It needs AD and a PM. It really does need these roles separated out. It's causing too many inefficiencies. So what we've done is we've basically job spec'd out those two roles and said, there's no right, you're absolutely you're the right person to grow with this agency. Absolutely you are, right? And it's up to you. You go whichever way you want, but we'll support you in, might be getting Jenny Plant's training on account management. It might be getting somebody else for you, project management training, specialist support around you. It might be sales training. You can have all the training you want, but in this agency's opinion, this person needs to choose which role they go. Mm. And I know that, sound, that can sound a bit harsh, but actually... You know, I've worked with many people over the years before I did this. And some people do need that bit of a steer on their career path. Mm. They need a bit of help because they are a bit kind of lost often. I agree, Mark. And I also think there's a bit of what what do you have a natural tendency for? Like what's your natural default? Because having worked with so many different kind of hybrid account managers and also project managers, project managers are really good at process, getting things done, being transactional. And they're very good with clients, but pure account managers tend to be different. They're looking at account growth. They're looking at business strategy. They're looking at adding value. And you can kind of put them in the middle of a room and by the end of the night, they'll know everyone. You know, so I think people have a natural tendency towards one or the other. And I think if you ask anyone, I think they'd probably, if they're really honest, it's probably quite obvious from the outside but asking someone as well, I think, would be a good way of... Do you personality um, test people then? In, I don't, but I, no, I'm thinking would, about starting to do yeah, it. Yeah, that's quite, yeah. I know a few people that do that, and it's quite interesting. But then I sometimes think that it's about, it is like you just said, actually, is you, if you've got the right people on board, and that in itself is a huge thing to have to take your time to get the right people and so on, 
and you want them to grow with you. So why not offer them opportunity? Mm. You know, why not go, this is us today. And it's almost that visionary piece, isn't it? This is a lot of what we would do is work with, what are you today? Where do you want to go? And now you need to be articulating that clearly to the team. Because if you don't, people will leave. I mean, that's proven without doubt. I mean, there's a lot of surveys out at the moment around this, isn't there? It's, it's lack of communication, lack of clarity. Of It's understandable given the year we've just been on. But what we're trying to, what I'm certainly trying to get our clients to do at the moment is spend time working on what the agency is, where it's going, and speaking to the team about it regularly, keeping everybody informed. Great idea, because then everyone feels like they're coming with you rather than fighting against you or not feeling part of it. And I think that bit, like, just from personal experience, looking back on my career, I was bogged down with spreadsheets and, you know, like... I was much better at being with people. My communication skills were much better than actually sitting there pouring over financial reconciliations, etc. So I just think that this topic is huge. You know, as you say, get the right people. And if they're in the right seats, then the business has a fighting chance of growing really well. I'm just curious, what types of questions should agency owners be asking you that they don't? What should they be asking that? Oh, goodness. Okay, I've done a lot of pitches over my time before this, before Cactus, and I don't ever get asked about that. I think people think, oh, he was the accountant and like he couldn't be creative and, and so on. And a lot of qualifying out opportunities and working out whether it was right for our firm and for all the rest of it and, and so on. But people never ask us about if we came up with any innovative ways of pitching or or even innovative, I suppose, upsell sort of opportunities what i mean by that is we came up with the thing grant thornton actually i think it was where we called it the ceo room because we're not good at branding obviously as you know accountants but the the ceo room was basically a concept where if you think we were working with mostly some big organizations in scotland but also global organizations that happen to have a presence in scotland one for example had offices in i think it was dubai new york and so on and so what we came up with this concept where we'd get the senior leaders in that company into a room with us and we would get the top people from audit tax whatever it is M&A you know advisory work and we would just sit and listen and brainstorm not always sit but brainstorm around where that company was going so if the companies they would tell us like you know we're in I don't know Africa at the moment and we're thinking of going to Brazil and so on and blah 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 and the idea of that was that we could then sit and listen about all the opportunities that would be for tax planning or overseas branches and you know gt was in most countries in the world so that in itself brought quite a lot of fee income back to the company i think that's a great idea absolutely great idea this is so good and you're delivering some knowledge bombs how much visibility of the agency numbers do you think the whole team should have versus just the agency owner Okay, so I work with a couple of people. <laughs> that one, one particular, and I've done some sort of strategy work with the other one. Is, and they let their team see everything. Wow. So like you know, salaries for everybody, self-regulate a little bit. Like if you read Maverick, no, the book by Ricardo Semler. No. Oh, you must. Oh, if you're, I will. You're a Maverick. So that book is a. I'll get it right now. I think it's there's a family business in Brazil, and. The business wasn't doing too well. I think it's a manufacturing business. Anyway, so the son took it on and he came in with a completely unique way of looking at things. So, for example, everybody knew what everybody was getting paid. And this was a big company, by the way. They would do a little thing on the door where they would, this is going back quite a few years, where you would go in and you would colour tag against your name. So it told everybody going in when they had to clock in what mood you're in. 
which I thought was genius. We did a similar thing once at GT where we did personality profiling. We had everybody's colours up on their name tag around the office. Great so when idea. you go around, you could see, all right, well, no, Mark's the head case, you know, <laughs> you're not going to speak to him then. But so that was one of the first times I've ever read about this self-regulating the pay and so on. And I know two agencies that do that and it seems to work for them. One of them's got constantly wins like best culture in the sort of small business section of different things very very open agency the other one is they're in the uk the other one is a dispersed agency a development house where they they've got people in i can't remember how many countries around the world it's not that big it's probably 15 to 20 people imagine that one where somebody in the uk could be paid 50 grand versus somebody somewhere else in a different society that's maybe paid 20 for the same job but it works for them because they understand that UK living, the cost of living is so much more different to what, or, you know, vice versa or whatever. So it works. Would I do it? I don't know if I would. So would you, would you, because you've got some good case studies there where it's worked, would you say that you would recommend it? I don't think I would possibly go to the extremes with the cash flow because the cash flow sometimes, although as I said earlier on, a lot are pretty okay at the moment, that can be a complete stress. And I think that's, unless you were 100% transparent about everything and everybody understood the commercials and the impact of those. And actually in one of those agencies, they train people on the financials as well. So that's probably why it helps, you know, then I don't think I would go personally to that extreme because I think there are a couple of things you perhaps don't need to share. And that pressure almost maybe doesn't, although some people would say that pressure is a good thing, but Mm -hmm. if you can't drive the sales, if that's not, you know, is it a good thing? But what I would say is other than maybe the cash flow and probably wouldn't do the salaries, although I've worked, I've got this ongoing with a couple of clients at the moment where they're looking at salary bandings and so on. I've worked in places where that's worked and, you know, it hasn't really caused too many issues at all, really. Would I go salaries? Probably not. Would I share everything else? Probably. Because I I think the more you hide, the less the team feel they're part of something. I agree. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Okay, that's good advice. In terms of the changes we've seen happening, Mark, I know you were really active on LinkedIn, sharing some fantastic information that you were interpreting really quickly from what the government was talking about in terms of furlough schemes, et cetera, and grants and aid for agencies. So I know that you've done a lot of work in this area, but what do you see sort of happening now and in the agency landscape in the near future? Okay, I think there's a few things, actually. m and obviously on a lot of people's lips. You're probably hearing that in some of the, I don't know if you follow other podcasts or talks or whatever, but it goes back to what I said earlier on, quite a few agencies, and I've got some of these at the moment. I'm doing two deals at the moment where we're probably selling the agencies actually and another one might be doing a kind of management buyout which I'm helping on but people have got money some agencies have got a pile of money they've had you know a C bill they might have just topped that up as well with a recovery loan that they've been able to get whether it's right or not I'm not going to say on this because it's up to people individually but you know people have got money to spend and Although what I would say on the flip side is a lot of agencies are doing quite well. So their prices are not going down. And the couple we sold towards the end of last year were good prices, you know. So, you know, it's not like you're going to get necessarily a cheap deal. And if you were, I'd probably be thinking, well, why, are, why are we buying that? You know, is it the right thing? So that's one thing. I think a lot of pipelines at the moment that I see, because, you know, we have our own pipeline tool that we try to put into agencies and so on that, that usually really helps them quite quickly. A lot of opportunities are for specialist agencies. That seems to be coming to the fore a lot more. So if you're a PPC-only agency, you know, there's a lot of opportunities to become dedicated to that. If, you know, I think the more full service, it's probably a bit trickier sometimes at the mm, moment than the specialist. 
So that that's definitely something I think is changing. And then team, I think this goes back to the vision bit again. There's a lot of turnover of people at the moment. And that's not just people hiring because there are lots hiring. Actually, quite a lot of people leaving, mm. and and I think that's there was I saw us, I was reading doing some research for a board meeting last week, and there was a Deloitte survey. I think it was last year saying two out of three people, it's in the marketing space. Two out of three people feel that they don't get clear communication from where the agency's going. So for me, it goes back to that: what are we now? Where are we go in the roadmap? Articulate it. You know, quarterly stand ups, monthly emails, or a quick check in. Everybody, this is how we're going. And this is your career path because there has been a, quite a lot of churn this year to, you know, SaaS businesses that are well-funded, other agencies, people going, well, I've had enough of the last year. It's made me think about my career. I'm coming out of the agency game. So as much as there's recruitment, there's also quite a lot of people leaving. I think that's a challenge at the moment. Wow. So that's really useful what you've just shared, actually. The reason for the churn or one of the contributing factors is the fact that they don't feel communicated with. And it absolutely goes back to what you were saying before about being more transparent. I think it's been, you know, obviously last year was hard because I think most owners were like, you know, I got asked to do this M&A stuff I'm doing at the moment. Can we give them the budgets we did for last year? And actually the actual results we did. Well, to be honest, we were budgeting every three weeks you know it was a pine you know what's the point almost we're changing it every week because the new scheme was coming in whatever other client search some of the search clients of one that you just working with were coming off a cliff pausing all their project you know retainers so all of that is you know it's just created uncertainty so it was hard it's hard isn't mm. it for people to articulate but i think just quickly the other thing that we've been doing we've run this mastermind thing recently where we've had 16 agencies as a cohort, we've got five groups going. We're just about sold out the next one. And what we try to do for pre-work for that is get everybody to do a Petra Kucha, if you know what a Petra yes, Kucha yeah, is. Jenny, yeah. Or yeah. Explain, explain for everybody listening that don't... So, so 20, 20 slides, 20 seconds a slide. What is that on the mass personal? Six and a half minutes or whatever. <laughs> and, and, and they're supposed to articulate who they are, what they're trying to do themselves personally, but also their business, where they want their business to go. And we always think that's a critical thing for anybody on this mastermind and actually start to do it with clients now because they're weaving it into their cred stacks and so on. That's quite a quick visual snappy thing. So a Pecha Kucha for me is if you haven't done one, <laughs> look it up. It's a whole, you know, it's Japanese for chit chat, I think, isn't it? Look it up, probably do one because it makes you think about where you're going, your business. Great idea. And it's great for the creds. It's great for the cred stacks. So Amazing. Any other final words of advice for an agency leader that we haven't talked about that you think you know, it's critical to understand if you want to grow your agencies. Yeah, actually. <laughs> so there's two things I would say. There's one, most people don't have clarity on their pipeline. And I don't mean they don't know what leads are coming. They don't have a tool or a process. They have some in the owner's email inbox. They have some with the account manager's inbox. They have some on the spreadsheet. So they have a SAS tool that doesn't really tell them it just has columns that tell you about the stages of how each opportunity is it doesn't really tell you what's coming in the next couple of months with with clarity so i think a pipeline tool is fundamental and we've built one over many years pete and spencer built it we've evolved it over agencies anybody we work with we show them that on like day one or on the strategy day with them straight away or on the mastermind because it's to me it's like the most fundamental tool that they should have in place first and I think the other bit is the vision bit is, is again, we work quite a bit on that with any, then you asked me earlier on about what to do at the beginning. That to me is a lot of people don't really have a, they don't need to have a three or five year plan, but they, they need at least a year plan. Otherwise, what are you trying to go towards? You know, so having that kind of step back and get away from 
these screens or the office when we're in offices and thinking about where they actually want to go. So a bit around the vision and putting a couple of numbers around that. You know, what's the revenue going to be? What are the number of people? Because you can guarantee most people have too many people <laughs> on it. But then yeah, it's a starting point, isn't it? It's something to aim for. So. You've been talking to me, actually, Mark. I'm thinking I need to do that. So thank you for that. That was a real moment of, wow. So I'm really glad you shared that because I'm sure people listening will be thinking the same thing. So Mark, thank you, first of all, for sharing so much value. This has been really sort of eye-opening for me. How can people reach you and who would you like to be contacted by? And what's the best way? Because I know it's difficult because you've got so many clients on the go. So I know that your time is limited. That's fine. So I love speaking to people and hearing their stories. I love this. So you can email me at mark at cactus. So M-A-R-K at C-A-C-T dot U-S, funny ending. Or you can hit me up on LinkedIn. I tend not to accept connections on LinkedIn. I just, if people message me, that's just my way of doing LinkedIn. I'm a bit weird. So whether that works or not, Jenny, I have no idea. But I I just try to keep it to people I kind of know or have met. But you can send me a message and that's fine. I can have a call or whatever. But I'm happy to have a call with anybody. And really, yeah, agency owners are often... I've supported quite a lot of finance people in agencies over the years. I probably don't say that enough, actually. So if there's any finance people that think actually it'd be quite interesting to do the fat over X, Y, and Z, if they're whatever, FM or FD or finance control or whatever, then I'm happy to have a call as well to see if we can help in any way. Amazing. Thank you so much, Mark. We'll include those links in the show notes so people can find you straight away. So yeah, once no again, thank you so much, Mark. Really appreciate your time. All right. Cheers, Jenny. Take care. Brilliant. I hope you enjoyed that chat with Mark and have come away with a few ideas about the business model, about finance and operations. If you're an account manager with two to three years experience working in an agency and you really want to fast track your career and be recognized for adding more value to your existing accounts and growing the existing business, then the next Account Accelerator program starts on September the 2nd, 2021. This is a 12-week program where I help you create a client-centric plan to add value to your existing accounts and increase the revenue from those existing accounts in 90 days. Places are limited on this course and I'm taking inquiries now. So if this sounds like you, then drop me a line. It's jenny at accountmanagementskills.com or find me on LinkedIn at Jenny Plant. I look forward to speaking to you on the next one.